Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. On Wednesdays, we like to talk about wellness. San Diego, as you know, is uh, known for a lot of things. The sun, beaches, surf. And unless you're local, May gray and June gloom are the best kept secret. Well, this year, though, San Diego has been grayer and gloomier than normal. In the month of May, San Diego was one of the cloudiest parts of the continental U.S., and June gloom took its place until the sun made an appearance this week. The lack of sunlight, though, and ongoing cloudy skies can impact our mood and mental health, leaving many feeling blue and even lethargic. So how long does it take for the sunshine to lift our mood? Here to tell us more is Carrie Trimble. She's a professor at the University of San Diego and clinical director of the USD Telemental Health Training Clinic. Carrie, welcome to Midday Edition. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to have you. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. So, you know, for some cloudy days uh, bring on a feeling of relief and restoration. For others, it brings on a feeling of gloom and low energy. So what impact can cloudy days have? have on mental health and well-being? Cloudy days that seem to stretch on for a long time absolutely can impact people's mood. It can lower people's motivation. Oftentimes people feel like that bright sunny day is what gives them the energy to get out of bed or to go tackle their day check off their to-do list and accomplish things. And when we have so many cloudy days, it can actually impact people's vitamin D levels when they aren't getting a lot of sunlight. And for some people, a lack of vitamin D can impact mood and can help trigger depression for some people. And that in mind, uh, are we talking about seasonal depression here? 
So the official name would be seasonal affective disorder. Some people might better know it as SAD, which is the acronym. And SAD is actually a subtype of what can be known as major depressive disorder. So if we look in our Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is what mental health professionals use to diagnose mental health challenges or mental health disorders people might have, there is a qualifier on major depressive disorder that says seasonal type or seasonal effects. So some people might be experiencing enough symptoms to be diagnosed with major depressive disorder that then typically are alleviated when the weather gets better or when there is more sunlight. So how does someone who's feeling the weight of cloudy days on their shoulders make the distinction between feeling a little blue, seasonal affective disorder, or uh, any other type of depression. So one of the things a mental health professional would look for or would educate people about is when we're looking at something that could be potentially diagnosed as seasonal affective disorder is are these symptoms impacting the person's ability to go about their day? And so is it making it to where they're having a hard time getting out of bed or are they having a hard time going to work or are they having a hard time going to school? Has their performance been impacted? Maybe for children and adolescents, are their grades going down? Or for adults, is their performance, whether they work inside the home or outside of the home, suffering? So that would be something we would really look for. We would also be looking for, are these symptoms occurring on a basis that is exceeding 14 days? And so if we're looking at someone as saying, I'm just, I'm not doing well, and it's been more than two weeks, that would be something a mental health professional would be saying, okay, this is more than maybe just having the blues or feeling sad. This is something that's becoming more in the territory of somebody really experiencing depression. So when we look at some of the major kinds of depression, there'd be a major depressive disorder, which is where like I was saying, people are having these symptoms. It's making it hard for them to function for two weeks or more. We also have something that would be looked at as more of a, a recurring lower grade depression where perhaps people are able to function, but they're maybe functioning at a, at a lower level than what they would typically. So it's what people in the larger population would think of as high functioning depression. And then there is also bipolar disorder, but that is a whole different thing that typically isn't going to be something that would be triggered by the weather. And since San Diego has been so cloudy this year, are you noticing a rise in cases of seasonal affective disorder? What I am definitely noticing in just to me to say a, a rise in seasonal affective disorder, I would just want to qualify that uh, I, I would hesitate to diagnose that in somebody I'm not seeing as a client. But what I am definitely seeing just across the board is lower levels of motivation in a lot of people, just because by this time of year, typically afternoon, a lot of these clouds would burn off, but that hasn't been happening. And so people who in San Diego who are used to going out into the sun and having that be a part of their typical day. It just hasn't been there. And so I'm just seeing more lethargy across the board and people just not being as happy to see each other as you maybe typically would be. And just even for me looking outside and going, oh my goodness, it's 
almost two in the afternoon and it's still gloomy out, it doesn't particularly make me want to go do anything, but maybe just stay in my house either. And so something that can lead to for more people is more social isolation, which is also another risk for triggering depression. What therapies are available to really help remedy some of the symptoms you mentioned? So there are several different therapies available. One would be what people typically know as is talk therapy, where they're going in for sessions with a counselor or a psychologist or another mental health professional and really processing what is going on for them. One of the types of therapies that physicians might use for people who are experiencing symptoms that don't perhaps alleviate with talk therapy is light therapy. So they might go in for a session where they're sitting with some bright light in their session for 20 to 30 minutes. Some people are able to get devices for in home that they're able to do light therapy with. And it's typically recommended that people would do this first thing in the morning. One of the reasons why people could be experiencing depression with all of this gray is that it can throw people's circadian rhythm off, their typical sleep-wake cycle. And so by engaging in light therapy early in the morning, it can help kickstart their wake cycle. So that would be one option. And then for other people, uh, psychotropic medications, prescriptions, antidepressants might be another form to treat their symptoms. And outside of, of those therapies, are there just daily practices that people can do, whether they're feeling a little blue or dealing with depression, um, to really alleviate some of the symptoms? Some of the things people can do include maintaining as much of a routine as possible. And so that can mean going to bed and waking up as close to the same time every day as possible, even on the weekends. A lot of people don't like hearing that they are recommended to keep their same routine on the weekends. A lot of people like to stay up late and sleep in, but that can further exacerbate difficulties with people's sleep-wake cycle. So keeping that routine as much as possible can be really helpful. I think something else that can be a helpful tip is trying to reach out to other people. Even if you don't necessarily have friends or family living in San Diego, if it's then making phone calls or having video chats with loved ones on a regular basis can be very helpful. So can physical activity Oftentimes with this May gray, June gloom, or just seasonal depression, it has to do with just our chemicals and hormones can be out of balance. And so getting exercise can get our endorphins going. And by getting those endorphins going through exercise, that can elevate our mood. And so I think exercise, eating as healthily as possible, maintaining connections with others, those are all strategies that can be really helpful. Hmm. And, you know, we're talking about the impact of cloudy days on our mental health and well-being. But what about those sunny days? How, how do those days impact us? So some people will say, you know what, those sunny days, it just brightens my mood. It, it makes my disposition just become that much brighter. It is something that can affect people's vitamin D levels. So getting those vitamin D levels back up can increase people's mood. 
But for other people, it might just be like this sunny day is just not what I was looking for. Some people, depending on how weather affects them, the sunny day can have the opposite effect. And so that would also maybe be an indicator of just wanting to make a phone call and talk to somebody. I think a lot of people have the perception that to talk to a mental health professional, you have to be mentally ill or I hear the term crazy a lot, but you don't actually have to have any sort of diagnosable symptoms to go in and talk to a mental health professional about your mood. I liken it to when people go to uh, their, their doctor for a once a year wellness appointment that people can go see a mental health professional just to check on their mental wellness as well. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. We're talking June gloom and the effects it can have on our mood. We're joined by Carrie Tremble from the USD Telemental Health Training Clinic. Uh, and Carrie, how long does it take for the effects of seasonal depression to fade away once the weather changes and the sun is back out? For some people, it can be fairly rapidly where it's just the sun's back out. I'm able to go engage in my activities that I enjoy again. For other people, it can take time. It can take time for their mood to increase or as some people might say, to balance out. I think what's important is for people to realize that everybody is different and the timeline isn't going to look the same for everybody. It can also be influenced by maybe how long were they experiencing symptoms of depression for, for them to maybe lift, but just knowing that that timetable is different for everybody. And can someone be more sensitive to the effects of seasonal affective disorder if they're already coping with major depression? That can absolutely be a possibility. We know as mental health professionals that mental health disorders or mental health are influenced by biological, psychological, and social factors. And so if somebody is perhaps already more genetically predisposed, they could be at greater risk of having the weather trigger depression than perhaps somebody else would be and also looking at what type of support networks does someone have around them and looking at psychosocial effects, where if somebody perhaps has a stronger support system, they might have more protective factors in place than perhaps somebody who is more isolated. How vulnerable are people who are just simply used to sunshine? <laughs> How vulnerable are they to um, seasonal affective disorder? It reminds me of a time actually when I was studying abroad in Finland in the winter and it was very gray and other exchange students from sunnier parts of the world were very much struggling more than those of us who were from northern climates. And so if you have people who maybe aren't they aren't exposed to gray weather a lot, or it's not something they've become accustomed to, it's possible that it can affect them more because they maybe haven't had the chance to build the same type of coping skills that other people have. And so really looking at for each individual person, what is your way of coping? And how many tools do you have in your toolbox as a way to say that? You know, one effect of seasonal affective disorder that you mentioned earlier uh, is that people can become more isolated, uh, especially after what we went through with COVID-19. Uh, it really kind of trained many of us to be more isolated. Some people find that easier to do than others. Tell me about that. 
So in looking at the past couple of years of not really having a lot of contact with others as a way to keep ourselves safe, it's possible that a lot of people have never had a chance to really build a support network or got out of habit of reaching out to other people. And so as we look into what this weather has been doing, it's possible that people are retreating back to those techniques of staying isolated. When right now, when we look at symptoms of depression, what we should be doing is the exact opposite of reaching out to other people, whether that is in person or whether it is over the phone or over video chats. It is important to be making those connections with other people. And if someone perhaps is newer to the area and doesn't know others, looking at ways to be able to meet new people and be able to connect is something that is really important. I have been speaking with Carrie Trimble. She's a professor at the University of San Diego and clinical director of the USD Telemental Health Training Clinic. Carrie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great having a chance to talk with you. Yes, and if you are experiencing a mental or behavioral health emergency, the number to call for help and resources is 988. Still ahead, our Wellness Wednesday conversation continues with Parker Edison, the host of the KPBS podcast. I don't know if we're putting the same value on our health or our, our mental welfare as we do just our basic necessities, food, clothes, and shelter. I think that's the, the big handicap. KPBS Midday Edition is back right after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. Wellness is important. But with so much going on in our day-to-day -day lives, it can just feel out of reach. So where do we start? How do we achieve it? And what does it look like in communities of color, especially in San Diego? Well, the Parker Edison Project is a KPBS podcast that explores how people, power, and environments interact in a continuum. And one of its recent episodes, Body Healthy, looks at different ways of working towards wellness, from Pilates and yoga to herbal medicine, and why it's so important to strike a healthy balance between the mind and body. Joining us is the host and creator of the podcast, Parker Edison. Parker, welcome back to Midday Edition. Thanks, Jade. First of all, what does body health mean to you? At first, it was a physical thing. And now I have a, a bigger appreciation that it, it has to do with everything that I consume. It's not just nutrition and vitamins. It's everything that I consume that leads up to what, what I put into my body. It's the needs that I have. It's the requirements that, that are called on in the day. It's my mood, my disposition. It's everything. And why did you choose to explore body health specifically in this season? Last season, I did one on mental health, and I had so many people reach out and, and tell me, hey, I, I sent this over to this relative, or I've been considering this thing for myself. And and the very next idea I had was, as I was doing the mental thing, I, I realized how, how much my physical body was tied into that. I, I was exploring that, so I wanted to kind of share where I was at in real time uh, with the listeners and kind of continue that conversation that started in mental health. 
First, I want to know, you know, many people start their wellness journey with a gym membership or yoga lessons, but, uh, you know, that's not always accessible for everybody, especially in some black and brown communities. What have you learned about why that is? I think it's because, well, I know because black and brown people are not in a state of, of survival mode. Uh, we're so present trying to fix and put out fires or deal with what's right in front of us that we don't always look at the big picture which is our own bodies. And even bigger than that, what we teach our children and the the generations that are around us about their bodies and the importance of maintaining it. And I think that's the big thing. Like I truly do. And because of that, we, we go and we put, we might put a grocery store, we might put a clothing store in place because these are, these are necessities to even get to the gym. You have to have clothes, you have to have food. These are necessities that come before that, but they're equal to it. And so I don't know if we're putting the same value on our health or our, our mental welfare as we do just our basic necessities, food, clothes, and shelter. I think that's the, the big handicap. I mean, do you think it, it requires a cultural shift or is it more of an issue of access? I think it's both. I think it's a culture shift and it's access. And I think that's what we're seeing. I think that it's my idea that over like the last hundred years, we've been building the country that we live in. And that's such a, a hard job. Well, now a good amount of it is built and we have a little bit of time to look into ourselves. We have a, a food chain. So now we don't have to go hunt every morning and we don't, we have security in, in, in our homes. So we don't have to defend ourselves from marauders. And that gives us a little bit more time to, to think about the food that we eat and the emotions that we have. And even the trauma that we've occurred to get to this point, because all of that factors in to why we're not paying attention to, to our mental and physical welfare. I think we're, we're starting to see that shift right now. And it's in particular is happening with the black and brown communities. Yeah. You know, something that struck me while listening to the episode was when one of your guests said wellness is not a luxury, but a necessity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is very much that because just like you were saying, a, a gym membership and yoga, those are those are expensive things like they accrue money, the money that it takes to replenish your body from what you take out of it, the time to literally have time to do an hour in the gym and have a half hour to, you know, to make traffic back and forth. Like a lot of us don't have that if we're dealing with childcare or, you know, any, any number of things. It's, it's very expensive. And we're not even talking about the price of healthy food. Cheap food is, is plentiful out there, but healthy food, we're not learning how to prepare it. We're not learning where to acquire it. We're not making it in our, our regular schedule to do so. All of these things. All of those things factor into why it's so expensive and it gets treated that way. It gets treated as a, as a luxury because, again, we're in this, this fight or flight survival mode where we're just trying to get food, clothes, and shelter. And these things are bigger and, and have a, a huger influence because when you're eating well, you're sleeping well. When you're sleeping well, your body's recovering. You're in a better disposition. You're more productive. These things all feed into each other in a circular pattern, but we kind of have them separated in our minds and, and compartmentalized, especially in the black and brown community. Another way people work towards wellness is through holistic medicine, um, like using herbs, but it might not be as mainstream. So what misconceptions do people have about herbalism? It's often discredited. It's, it's not given the value that it has. It has a, you know, herbal medicine is, is where it all starts. That's the first medicine. It's the, the purest ideas that have lasted the longest. And the people who brought them and conveyed them to us have been discredited because mm, possibly there's a lot of money 
in those cures. And, and to maintain that money, they kind of have to get rid of the people who originally owned the knowledge and the science of it. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's that's what we're seeing there. There's there's a lack of that information and it needs to be it needs to be put out. And we want to play an excerpt from that episode. Could you set it up for us? Yeah, I, I had a conversation with a really good friend of mine. Her name is Ailea Angaza. Uh, uh, she's on Instagram. She's a black apothecarist. Very, very rare, incredibly intelligent. And she's been doing couture tinctures and tonics for me to help me fix the things that are specifically wrong in my body. And that's what she does with her clientele. Uh, she's so intelligent. And she, you know, she took a few minutes to kind of break down what she's doing in, in the history of uh, holistic medicine. All right, let's take a listen. What do you do? How do we know each other? I am an herbalist, an energy healer, and we know each other because you're one of my herbal clients. That's right. Take your tinctures and drink your tea like a boss. Great. <laughs> <laughs> not, that's not true for all my clients. <laughs> I think it's super interesting. One, I don't know any other black apothecaries. Are there more that you know of? There are. Actually, when I talk to my dad often about the herbs that I'm using or the things that I'm mixing up, he'll say, oh, my mom used to do that. My mom used to, she used to dig up this root. I believe it's part of our ancestral lineage. The herbs that we use here in America, mo most of them we learned from Native Americans that we're using the plants that are indigenous to this land. And I believe it's the same worldwide. For most countries, herbs are the go-to medicine and pharmaceutical drugs are secondary. Big Pharma is trying to create something that everybody can utilize, so it kind of covers everything. But what you're doing is very different, very specific. Can you kind of uh, expound on that? What I do is I speak with the client depending on what they need. And we talk about the energy of whatever they're dealing with. And some of that's intuitive on my end. The plants that I think will resonate most with a client. I like to create formulas for my clients that are very specific to whatever they're dealing with. A traditional herbalist or, or healer would want someone to heal from the root of whatever their issue is and really digging down and getting deep rather than just like trying to slap a band-aid or, or, or get rid of symptoms. There's just no one size fits all. And the beautiful thing about herbalism is there are so many plants. This is your, it's your craft, it's your art, it's something you've been doing. How long have you been in this field? Formally in 2019. But when I had my first baby, I was living in Africa. I didn't have a lot of access to like natural products that you can just buy off the shelf like you can here, there. And so I just started studying and doing my own research and making things, right? Like making soap or making, making things that were just cleaner. And that just slowly began to build. Um, for me, it really started with essential oils too. And all medicine in herbs comes from the essential oils of the plants. Um, but I was introduced to plant medicine through essential oils first. But I formally did a clinical herbalism certificate. I began it in 2019 and finished in 2020. So, What's a piece of information that you wish was, was more out there, more prominent in regards to herb and natural medicine? So there's no one plant or one medicine or one form of healing that's going to be for everyone. What I like to offer is to stay curious, to explore different things and see what combination of whether it's plants or healing methodologies 
really align with you as a, as a person. So it's important to note that it takes time. Plants are generally working at the root of whatever issue you're dealing with. Like I said, it's not a band-aid, right? If you're having pain somewhere and you're working with plant medicine, it, it's going to take time before that pain is completely gone for it to truly be healed. It almost sounds like you're describing intelligent medicine. Mm, yeah, it is intelligent medicine. If you're working with, say, like mullein leaf for your respiratory system, like it's the intelligence of our bodies combined with the intelligence of the plants that when we take it, it has an affinity for the lungs. It goes and it tones and it strengthens and it helps heal our lungs. How else would that be possible if it weren't intelligent? Just in your craft, not even professionally, what's the next thing that interests you? With plant medicine, I still consider myself like a baby herbalist. I don't, I won't be able to call myself a master herbalist for like 20 years. There's so much to learn, which is also keeps it really exciting. Anytime I sit down with a client and I get to open my herb books and really dig into these different plants and what they can offer people. You just heard an excerpt from the Body Healthy episode of the Parker Edison Project podcast. And you're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. I've been speaking about wellness with Parker Edison, host of the KPBS podcast, The Parker Edison Project. And Parker, you also spoke with North Carolina rapper Fonte Coleman of Little Brother about yoga and how he stays grounded in this industry. Tell us more about that conversation. That was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. Little Brother's people reached out to us. They they called the, the podcast and they reached out to us and we were able to set up a, a quick interview. And I didn't, I, I had no idea that he was going to talk about the perks of yoga or the, the reasons he got into it. You know, it's a fantastic conversation because so often in rap, it's a thing of youth. And this was someone who was talking about maturing and, and the way he's doing it and the way he's applying it and advancing in his, his art and his craft. And a big part of that was his physical body and his welfare and using that as a tool and instrument to make the best stuff possible. It it was fantastic. He's such an intelligent cat. Yeah. And it sounds like the episode resonated with a lot of people. So what are some reactions you've been hearing? Why do you think it really struck a chord? I think we're in that space now. I, I think people want to be the best that they can. And this conversation was two people having that as the sole purpose that genuinely is even even though it's just something as small as you know drinking water uh, or getting rest these are the tools that really lead to success yes i've been speaking with parker edison host of the parker edison project you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts parker it's always a pleasure to talk to you hi i'm bill hohen and i'm ted hohen Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. 